Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line by a Mets beat writer for The Athletic, Mr. Tim Britton. Tim, the Mets now have Daniel Vogel back. Yeah, they have one of the internet's favorite baseball players uh, in Daniel Vogelbach. It is Daniel, by the way. I double-checked with him. I know that I was, I was under the impression that he went by Dan previously, but it is Daniel that he, he prefers uh, and they are 1-0 when Daniel Vogelbach is in the lineup. So they are now an unstoppable force, as we all expected. Do you think do the other baseball players, they probably call him Vogie, right? Like, do, do you think, because if, if someone was like, hey, Dan, throw me that, throw me my my glove, do you think he'd take exception to that? Because it's not like, I don't know, Dan is a, it's like a pretty common it's an extraordinarily common nickname for daniel obviously but like it's just a straight shortening so like i don't know why anyone might might be offended by that i mean i i've known people who who strongly preferred the full version of their name rather than a nickname uh and i you know you respect that uh you have to even even as someone who who goes by the shorter version of his name uh so uh, i do think i have heard vogi already and i think that's going to be a popular one uh the 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 fact on the scoreboard last night for one of his at bats uh was that in seattle in 2019 they sold the vogi hoagie at one of their concession stands uh which i think is now uh something you must dive into you probably know all about this actually already you probably were steering the steering the conversation toward the vogi hoagie from the start uh, I, I don't remember what was on the sandwich, but I remember it sounded good, you know, as you'd expect. Uh, I will I will investigate that. I don't know a ton about the Vogie Hoagie. It almost seems a little on the nose, but uh, I'm down. It's probably good. How about this for a fact? He played on the same travel ball team with Francisco Lindor and, and Tomas Nito. Yeah, so the funny thing about talking to the players about Vogelbach over the last couple of days is, you know, he's a, he's a Florida guy. I think he came up in, in he grew up in Fort Myers. Uh, that they all seem to know him from high school and travel ball, basically. Like Pete Alonso had played uh, against him, I guess. Uh, so, uh, you know, asking guys last night, basically, oh, what was it like to see him fit your lineup up close? It was just like, well, we all know who he is. You know, we've all played with him for years. We've all known right. who he is for years. Uh, going back a decade, you know, Brandon Nimmo, I think, had, had talked about that as well. And Nimmo is like the guy you don't expect to have played with anyone in high school uh, from, from Wyoming. Uh, and so it seems like, Dan, Daniel Vogelbach had like, uh, you know, was a well-known prep baseball player uh, in the state of Florida and maybe beyond uh, when he was in high school uh, and, and became a second round pick of the Cubs. So uh, it is it is funny to see, you know, you, you forget sometimes that, yeah, these guys know each other well before, you know, just because he's been in the American League or then with, with the Pirates and Brewers outside the Mets division the last couple of years and, and a lot of Mets fans and Mets writers have not seen him play very much, that a lot of the players know him pretty well. 
Yeah, I read somewhere that at, at some point in high school, Vogelbach was listed at over 300 pounds, which makes you think that a guy like that hitting the way he can is probably a pretty memorable opponent. But also, like I looked up that league, it's just FTB, Florida Travel Baseball. Um, uh, David Adler at, at MLB.com just reported the team name, FTB Mizuno. Uh, I couldn't – like uh, it was hard from the, the Travel Ball website to uh, parse out who was on what team. But like half the league played in, in that circuit at some point, including guys uh, – I don't it didn't I don't know if Nimmo was listed on their website, but like Alex Bregman, who's from New Mexico, was still playing Travel Ball in Florida at some point in his high school. Yeah, it's it's – Look, the, the travel ball scene is is pretty complex yeah. for uh, those of us who were not good enough to try out for our high school baseball teams. Uh, yeah, and and fraught, and not and not necessarily you know always in the best interest of, of players. I don't know about that that <laughs> circuit specifically, but uh, you know, it, but like you said, it is it is always sort of interesting how so many baseball players know all the other baseball players. Like when you see them, um, I always wonder like when a guy gets to first base and you're Pete Alonso and you chat him up. Do you, if you haven't met this guy, do you pretend you don't know his name and you need to be into, like, as high on Pete? Or do you say, like, or, or is it everybody, like, oh, we, we all look at the scoreboard. We can read each other's names. Uh, I believe he introduces himself as Mr. Alonzo. You know, please refer Are to Are you me. serious? No, no. Because <laughs> uh, that would be amazing. Because that's, he should. He should. He sh- you should suggest that to him. Because, like, like if it was like, like, hey, man, like, welcome to first base, please... Uh, I will need to be addressed formally. <laughs> I'm Mr. Alonzo. Please use the uh, the Usted form and not the two form while yeah, I'm at first right. base. Um, I'm Pete, yeah. Alon- Pete Alonzo Esquire. You know, it's it's funny. I, I I talked to actually Dominic Smith about this in Cincinnati, and I, I didn't get to chance the chance to talk to Joey Votto because Joey Votto had the, the injury while the Mets were there. But uh, you know, Smith has talked in the past about how. You know, the first time he played against the Reds and he, he reached first base and Joey Votto talked, you know, was talking to him and basically like gave him a breakdown of his swing and talked about how much he likes his swing and all this and what a big confidence boost that was uh, and how, oh, I uh, bet. you know, like what that meant to, to Dominic Smith is I think this was his rookie year in 2017 uh, and, and what that meant to him. Uh, and you're like, oh, yeah, like that's <laughs> what a really nice thing to do by Joey Votto, who I think, you know. Uh, for a non-Reds podcast, we are very pro Joey Votto uh, on this one, uh, and that just, is. You know, had, are you aware of his Instagram presence? Uh, yes, that that his, uh, you know, what he what what museum was he at when he was in New York? Was it the MoMA? I'm not sure, but I I know he sometimes like hides things in in Cincinnati for for people to come find, and I always find that to be like the coolest thing a famous person can do. So yeah, like. Uh, you, you can imagine, you know, Pete Alonso by this point in his career, maybe attaining that kind of status for a younger player reaching base and, and just having it. I mean, not, not even, you don't have to break down the, the player's swing and give him give him uh, tips and, and kudos, but just you know, knowing who he is and saying, "Hey, what's up?" probably means something to a younger player. Yeah, it's a, it's going to be a different approach than Votto's, but it, it could certainly be jocular and and uh, confidence building for a young player. But let's talk about Dom Smith briefly because I'm curious what this deal means for him. Uh, he is somewhat conveniently on the on the injured list with an ankle injury. I mean, it's a it's a real injury. We saw it happen. But um, when and if and when he is ready to return, does he return to the Major League Mets? Does he return to the Mets organization at all? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to 
to view the Vogelbach trade as basically as the the end of Dom Smith's tenure as a, a big league contributor for the Mets. Uh, you know, former first round pick, a guy who uh, has had his ups and downs with the Mets, but you know had the highs of, of a, an amazing 2020 season. Uh, you know, when you when you think about 2020, uh, you know there's so many things you wish were different. Uh, if you were focusing strictly on the 2020 New York Mets, you would have liked to see what a full 162 game season for Dominic Smith that year would have looked like, for Michael Conforto that year would have looked like, maybe for Andre Jimenez would have looked like, and and certainly for Jacob Degrom. Uh, those are the guys you probably wish the most had gotten the chance to, to play 102 more games that year, given the way that they had performed over 60. Uh, but he's all, you know, he's had, had reached that point after some lows beforehand and then had fell back into some struggles the last year and a half. And obviously hasn't homered in more than a year. Uh, and just, you know, with the, the, the opportunities that he had this year was not able to run with them as, as the Mets left-handed DH. Uh, and that Vogelbach now fills that role. Vogelbach has the same amount of team control as Dominic Smith, which is two and a half more years through the end of the 2024 season. We've heard some rumors about some teams having interest in Smith, uh, the Cubs and Red Sox chief among them. Uh, you know, the, the Cubs certainly have some relievers that the Mets would be interested in. Uh, the, the Red Sox, you know, based off of their weekend, and we talked about it uh, the other day on the, the live room. And, and I, I wrote about it uh, on Thursday or Friday of last week that, you know, they were one of the teams along with San Francisco uh, that you could see going from kind of in the race to selling in the next next 10 days both of those teams combined to go 0 and 7 with a minus 42 run differential this past weekend boston's minus 30 took over most of that uh including that 28 to 5 loss so uh you know if if the red sox are interested in smith i don't know if if you know how interested they would be their top prospect is also a left-handed hitting first baseman who's probably a year away interest in cassis uh but you know they've got some relievers that the mets might have interest in they've got other players the mets might have interested in jd martinez uh if you want to aim super high with a xander bogarts or uh i don't think they'll trade rafael devers uh right now uh but even christian vasquez the catcher uh is is in his walk year and, and could make some sense for the mets so they you know there, there might be some landing spots for Dominic Smith where the Mets get something of value for the 2022 team. Uh, and even, you know, even if they got something of value for further down the line, uh, you know, that it probably makes sense to make that swap at this point. It's probably a win-win for both sides, actually, uh, to give Smith more of a, a real chance at playing time at this point. Yeah, and and that's that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like I think that that if if this is the end for Dominic Smith as a Met, I don't think that there are many Mets fans who wouldn't, wish him success wherever he lands. He seems like a guy who just needs regular playing time. He needs time to iron this out. I would say like, you know, 152 plate appearances, which is what he's had this year, is 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 not enough to say that he he can't do it and that he wouldn't turn it around, you know, next week if given the opportunity. But like at some point you have to say like, okay, this is a contending team. We're trying to win right now. Like, yes, we believe in you. Yes, we think you'll you'll pull it together, but like we can't hang around and wait for it any longer. Vogelbach is hitting. He does largely the same thing, except the defense at thir- at first base that Smith offers. But obviously, you know, Alonzo is there and prefers to be there. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to move on from Dominic Smith at this at this point. Um, it is interesting to me that there are teams that, that are still um, interested in his upside, like because... I certainly, you know, we all saw 2020. We all kind of believe there's a there's a world in which Dominic Smith is a is a good major league hitter. Uh, it hasn't been this world for the past two years, and so uh, you, you need you need someone who can hit a home run in the DH spot. Like you just you can't have a uh, even if he's not hitting 194, you you can't have like a Luis Castillo at as a DH. 
And, and look, this is one of the pitfalls that you fall into if you're a big market team that is aiming to win every year is that you can't wait out uh, some developmental hiccups a lot of times. You know, we've seen this, like, you know, Andres Jimenez is on, was on the American League All-Star team. American League All-Star starter this year is having a year that I think you can put right next to Francisco Lindor's, maybe even say it has been better than Francisco Lindor's. Um, and you, you say, oh man, if the Mets hadn't made that trade, they'd have all that extra money and they'd have a player just as good at shortstop. But also, Andre Semenis had a, a pretty terrible 2021 in Cleveland. Uh, and had he had that season in Queens, you know, what would the Mets have done last offseason yeah, to address their shortstop position? Or, yeah, right. right. You know, uh, Andre Semenis would not have come in as an opening day starter uh, and, and would not have had the same runway to success that he's had uh, in Cleveland because of the expectations here in New York. And that, you know, uh, covering the Red Sox all those years, it was the they had the same issues with their pitchers. You know, it was just impossible for them to work through uh, a young pitcher's growing pains at the major league level because they just had to get someone else in there. Uh, and so, you know, the Mets are, are going to be in that spot. And it's a good spot to be in overall. It means you're content. It means you're good. Uh, it means uh, you're, you're, you're trying to win now. It means you're spending money on your roster and you're looking for ways to improve it all the time. But it does mean that, you know, there's going to be times where you let go of someone who's not, you're not able to, to, sit through the obstacles they're about to face and they're going to flourish later on and, and you're just going to have to live with that. Right. It's sort of the cost of doing business as a good team. I'll say in, it, in addition, it implies that you have a young player who's worth hanging on to, right? So that's that's a that's a valuable thing too, right? Like it um, in the Red Sox case, it means there there are guys coming up through the pipeline or there were guys coming up through the pipeline that, that had promise, uh, which is, again, another good problem, even if you can't wait that out. Um, on the topic of wait, waiting wait, things wait, out. Wait, 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 real quick. But before we move on from the Vogelbach conversation with Smith, uh, what did you think of the the uh, price it took in Colin Holderman? Oh, I wasn't thrilled, honestly. Like I, uh, that that kind of just because that that's like he's I, and it's it's a guy it's a guy who's thrown what like fifteen or not more than that. But what what is he? I'm looking up uh, seventeen major league innings, right? So it's hard to be like, oh, how do you give up Holderman? Except that Holderman was like one of the he looked like one of the more convincing and promising arms they had in the bullpen this year. So it it does sting a little bit, I think, to cut into what may be a weakness to address another weakness. Um, but then on the other hand, it, it also feels like when, when you look at the relievers that got away, when it's it's not like, oh, gosh, why did they trade Royce Ring? Like, you know, it's I think that, that betting on bullpen arms is such a difficult and fickle thing as it is that if it's like, oh, Colin Holderman develops into a dominant closer, like, yes, that is one possible outcome that would be tough to swallow. But there are many in which... Uh, he's not an especially effe- uh, effective major league reliever for a long time, um, and and there are so many in which like he like Paul Seawald or, or Rafael Montero, like guys that you see now succeeding elsewhere. Um, that I think everybody was okay with letting walk because it's just the nature of of relief arms that like everybody's just sort of gambling and trying to fix and trying to improve the arms in their in their organization um i i, I kind of liked holderman like he, he just you know and i'm not a scout but he seemed good and, and so that was a little bit a little i would say like a little unnerving like really are you going to cut into your bullpen depth to to patch holes elsewhere uh, i don't know what do you think yeah you know i, th- I thought um 
I, I, your your reaction, I think, was the reaction of the majority of the fan base, at least from what I saw on Twitter. That a lot of people were were upset that he was the cost going the other way. Uh, I thought, but not like super upset, right? I'm not like it's not like they, when they traded Scott Casimir. It's, no, it's, like, it's like oh, you know, yeah, yeah. No one was was burning jerseys or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I think going into going into it, uh, I thought Holderman was a guy who who had a good chance of being dealt uh, at the trade deadline. Uh, and Vogelbach actually thought only had a year and a half of team control, not two and a half. So it made more sense when I saw that he had that extra year of team control in 2024, that there's value to that. You know, Holderman is, is 26 years old. He's a late bloomer. Uh, he's going to turn 27 in October. Uh, has obviously a, a pretty long injury history in the minor leagues and, and missed some time earlier this year. Uh, and was the guy who I think, you know, when Trevor May is due back in a couple, you know, another week or 10 days or so, Holderman was probably the guy in that bullpen who was slated to be sent down. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure, uh, you know, what role he was going to play for the 2022 Mets. So he, he certainly could have pitched himself into that role, and he was doing the best he could. Uh, we saw him get a couple of more uh, important opportunities over the last week before the All-Star break, in, in part because of the way the schedule went. You know, he got, uh, I think, a 10th inning against the Marlins. Uh, he pitched the, the, the second game of that doubleheader because they were trying to stay away from some guys against the Cubs on that Saturday. So, you know, was was a valuable guy to have. But we've seen some of the other guys they have in those roles. You know, Juan Lopez closed that game out, uh, that, that that nightcap of the doubleheader. And Adonis Medina did the same in L.A. and has pitched well for them and is, is in the minor leagues currently. So, I, to me, it strikes me as kind of uh, an aspirational uh, sacrifice. An aspir- like, you want to be the type of organization where you are producing a Colin Holderman every year. Um, and, th- like, this is a, a, a developmental win for them that they can turn – uh, a ninth round pick uh, from from 2016 uh, into a player like this that they can use right away. Uh, so you you want to be the team that that develops a reliever like this on a consistent basis, so that you're able to turn them. You know, you're able to to plug and play in your own bullpen. And certainly the Mets are going to need to do that next year because I think the only guys they've got holding over to that bullpen are are Drew Smith and and you know John Curtis coming off Tommy John surgery, and then it's a bunch of free agents basically. Um, so that's where giving up Holderman might sting, but it also reminded me a little bit of, you know, the Mets were on the other side of that trade a bunch in 2017, right? Trading a, a, a useful major league player for uh, a reliever straight up. Uh, and it didn't work out in the large majority of those cases. That doesn't mean that trade structure is flawed. Uh, it just means that it's, you know, you don't know exactly what you're getting in a reliever. Holderman has shown more promise than most. Would it surprise me if, you know, sometime after Pittsburgh trades David David Bednar in the next year or two that Colin Holderman is getting closing opportunities for them? No, but it also, like you said, wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he has to go on the shelf for a long time or it just doesn't work out for him because it's it's reliever it's reliever work. You never know what, what's going to happen there. Two players of slightly larger stature. Uh, I, 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 that sounds like I'm making a joke and I'm not. Uh, just two players of slightly larger uh, notoriety. Then Colin Holderman and Dan Vogelback uh, are Juan Soto and Jacob Degrom. Is that a fair? Is that a fair thing to say that we know more about Juan Soto and Jacob Degrom than we do about Daniel Vogelback and, and Colin Holderman? I don't know that we know more about Jacob Degrom at this point. That's true. That's true. He's a sort of a mystery, but um, but but we have heard more about them at the very least. Like uh, I, I just, it was an awkward segment. Segue. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about those two guys. What's going on with Juan Soto? Uh, I, it feels like the momentum of Juan Soto toward the Mets has sort of ground down a little bit. I think maybe uh, everybody got really excited that he hung out with Starling Marte for a while. 
the Soto Mentum. Um, yeah, it, you know, we Will Salmon and I wrote uh, for the end of last week, kind of the, the landscape of the Mets trying to trade uh, for for Soto, and that the biggest obstacle uh, was clearly going to be you know Washington's reticence or reluctance to trade him within the division for very logical reasons. Uh, and you know, uh, someone inside baseball said that it's basically close to impossible to envision. <laughs> um, and since then, we've done a little bit more reporting. Uh, you know, I've heard uh, two things that that hurt the Mets' chances. One is that the Nationals and, and Ken Rosenthal reported this first, so I am confirming Ken because he needs my confirmation on all of all of the things that he reports. I wouldn't believe it otherwise. <laughs> right, uh, that you know the Nats are they're not looking just for prospects here. They're they're trying to get some young major league talent, guys who have a year or two of service time. Uh, and if you remember Ted from early in the season, we were talking about like the minimum salary. Uh, guys and, and how the Mets were going to be less affected by that than virtually any other team with the, the new minimum salary, the, the CBA, because uh, they don't have guys with one or two years of service time on the roster, really. Uh, the only one that, that's particularly promising is probably Tyler McGill, and he's obviously hurt with a shoulder issue, so probably not as valuable as he would be were he healthy and, and performing the way he did in, in April. Uh, so, that, you know, if the Nationals want to build a... a or even even if he were on the shelf with an elbow issue. <laughs> right. <laughs> a hamstring issue. Um, you know, if the Nationals are really uh, concentrating on getting, you know, four or five players, a mix of prospects and guys who are major league ready, the Mets don't make a great fit. I had someone uh, say to me that, you know, for the Mets, it's, you know, you've got Alvarez, which helps a lot, but you're probably talking about Alvarez and Beatty and Mauricio and something else. Um, which is a, a lot for them to give up, obviously. Uh, and the second piece is that the, that Washington is probably uh, it seems to be happier getting as much prospect haul back as possible over shedding contracts. So shedding Patrick Corey, you know, what we've talked about a lot is that the Mets offer them the opportunity. You get good prospects back and get rid of, of Corbin, but you know, you're not going to get the prospect haul you might get from the Cardinals or the Padres or, you know, Tampa Bay if they wanted to get in, in, in into it. Um, but, uh, if Washington again, you know, decides if their preference, if its preference is, uh, that you know, they can hang on to, to Patrick Corbin for two years or whatever, and, and, you know, pay his salary, uh, so that they're good in 2025, they get their fresh start in 2025, uh, that they just want the, the most prospects that they can get. Uh, that's again, uh, a negative for the Mets in this hunt. So it, it feels like at this point, the Mets have three strikes against them. Uh, in their their pursuit of Juan Soto, I wouldn't rule them out entirely because uh, uh, you know no there is no real momentum building for any team at, at this point. It's not like we're hearing uh, that that anyone is particularly close. I think you know the New York Post has reported that people around the league see the Cardinals as a fit, uh, but uh, you know I, I don't know that there's a team right now that you say like oh that that's a team that I feel like is the favorite for Juan Soto. Well, and I I think I read it on the Athletic. I'm trying I'm trying to find it now because I've read so much about. Juan Soto being traded in the last few days that, um, I don't know why, but uh, that I'm not not entirely sure where I read it, but it was, it was another uh, discussion with, with Major League executives um, where one of the conclusions, which, which wouldn't have seemed so wild uh, uh, just a few weeks ago, um, someone pointed out, like, 
there's not really like they since he's under control for two years after this one like they can still get a huge package of prospects for him if they hold their cards until the offseason so like in some, unless someone comes and blows them away for Soto now especially given the uncertainty around their ownership situation like it might make the most sense for the Nats to just be like let's just let's just wait on this like let's let's revisit this in January when we know what the new owner is is committed to doing here and you know what what, what they're willing to pay Soto, uh, how they want, what direction they want to go with this franchise. Yeah, like I do wonder if teams have set, you know, you, you've, you kind of know what it costs to get uh, a rental player, like a, a two months of him, kind of half a season of a guy. You know, if Juan Soto were going to be a free agent at the end of the season, there'd be a lot more trade comparables for him and you, you'd kind of know what the price point is. Uh, even if he had a season and a half, we see those guys move from time to time. Uh, and you have an idea, okay, the, the last guy of this caliber to move with a year and a half left of team control got this, that that would be the proper comparison again. There's not a lot of guys of, of really any caliber who move with two and a half years left. You know, Dan Vo- Daniel Vogelbach is, is one of them. I don't think that's going to be used as an analog here. Um, there's so, not a lot yeah, of- maybe, maybe like Adonis Medina gets the Juan Soto. <laughs> uh, there's not a lot of impact players moved with two and a half years left of service time. Uh, in this fashion uh, and so there's there's not a lot of analogs and it's hard to, to gauge exactly how the acquiring team would value that that third year third pennant race of control uh, and so you would think that there's not a huge difference in the price point between two and a half years of control or two years of control or even one and a half years of control that uh, you know if maybe it's like the fifth prospect that you're getting is different if if the Nationals trade Juan Soto next week than it would be if they traded him next year at this time. So I, I do think they have the uh, the leverage in this instance to kind of wait it out as long as they want. Yeah, and when you're making a deal that big, it's probably a lot easier to do it when there's not like a set deadline coming, right? Because like rushing into something like that seems uh, fraught for a general manager for a front office. So I would, I'd say like it would be pretty easy to understand them being like, let's just let Juan Soto play for the Nationals for the rest of the season and work on this in the offseason when we can take our time and talk to every single one of the 29 other teams to make sure there's no there's no best package out there that we haven't stumbled upon. Yeah, and and you know more teams would be interested. There there are a couple of teams, especially like smaller market teams that you look at, like uh, you know Tampa Bay and Miami. I think stand out to me. Like like the Marlins would be a fit for him. They can trade a lot of young pitching for him. I think I, I mentioned this last time, uh, but they're just not in it this year. So like, why would they pay the extra whatever premium it is to get him for the final two months of this season, unless they thought he was de- you know definitely going to be moved somewhere else? So uh, you know. It, you, you do it in the offseason, you, you get, it's not 29 other teams, but it's more than like five other teams that are interested. I want to ask, I ask you about DeGrom. Did you see that there was a guy in the Futures game named Wilmer Flores, who's uh, not Wilmer Flores? I did. It, it, was he related to Wilmer Flores in any way? Was it Wilmer uh, Flores? I haven't gotten to that point. I, this, is, this is breaking news for me. Uh, Wilmer, um, Wilmer Flores does have a brother named Wilmer Flores. Oh, but I don't think this is him, right? Uh, it would be, you know, Wilmer is not as old as you think he is. He's still only, I think, 30 or 31. Um, yeah. Because he debuted at such a young age. Um, there is no, if it if it is, there's no mention in, uh, in this article. Oh, no, no, His brother is the, yes, he, it is. His brother is the San Francisco <laughs> Giants, also named Wilmer Flores. So Will, it's Wilmer Flores, his younger brother, Wilmer Flores, is now a prospect. And no one told me about this until right now. We, he was in the Mets clubhouse a couple of years ago 
Wilmer Flores. He was in Wilmer Flores' locker uh, hanging out with his brother, Wilmer Flores. I'm curious about... Uh, well, I remember, uh, you know, I know um, another another Venezuelan family like Edgardo and Edgar Alfonso. Is that a, is that a tradition in, in Venezuela to go with extremely similar names? I feel like I've, I've heard other examples of that as well. Yeah, I, I have not investigated that. Um, but it, uh, I, well, I, I do remember it, it cropping up with, with Wilmer a couple of years ago. Uh, and it was uh, it was really amusing because his brother at the time, even though he was significantly younger, looked a fair amount like him. And, and Wilmer, I think, looks young for his age. Uh, and so uh, it was like you had to do a double take that, oh, there, that guy in Wilmer Flores' locker isn't isn't the Wilmer Flores we know. It's a different Wilmer Flores. <laughs> It's, chi- it's young child Wilmer Flores who looks the same and is a pitcher, um, which is cool. When is Jacob deGrom going to return? Because I am increasingly skeptical. Okay, so... Uh, this is this is shady now, right? <laughs> well, I, you I'm know. sorry. This is weird because it keeps being like, ah, like just a couple days. He's going to make his last rehab start. And they're like, oh, no, no. Never mind. It's not going to be a rehab start. And we're going to do it a few days after we originally said. This, this was always a... Pos- so... The, this fourth rehab start after the All-Star break was always a possibility because of the weirdness of the schedule because you know you, the Mets did not love the idea of, okay, he's got three rehab starts to build up and then he's going to have a simulated game and then go to the major leagues. That's not exactly the sequence you want. Uh, and so uh, I think especially once he uh, felt the shoulder soreness, uh, what was that, eight days ago? Uh, we're recording this on Monday. Uh, so it was not yesterday, but the Sunday before that, he felt sh- shoulder soreness, which pushed back that simulated game over the all-star break from Tuesday to Thursday. Uh, then he threw a bullpen session on Sunday yesterday uh, and came out of it fine. But, you know, you got to wait a couple days to see how he feels. And then he, he's likely slated for a that that next rehab start. It seems like it would be Wednesday. Uh, Syracuse is at home uh, playing Omaha. Uh, St. Lucie is at home playing the Palm Beach Cardinals if he wanted to torture them yet again. Uh but and you would think and it'd the be Mets a, are at home. <laughs> the, the Mets are at home playing the Yankees. Uh, you would think it would be at the higher level uh, at Syracuse, <laughs> not not quite in the big leagues, um, and that's to lengthen him out. And then once he makes that start on Wednesday, then you've got his, he runs up against the thirty day rehab clock. Uh, basically, since his first rehab start was July third, pitchers get thirty days to get all their rehab starts in. Even if the All-Star break falls on them, that those days count. Uh, and so the 30th day would be August 1st. The Mets could start DeGrom Wednesday and give him another rehab start on August 1st. That would be on four days rest. They haven't been doing four days rest with him the last couple times. That would be a surprise. So I think as long as everything goes well in his next rehab start, uh, then he would uh, be slated to come back uh, in the Major League rotation say August 2nd, August 3rd, so right around the trade deadline in Washington uh, would make the most sense. Uh, if if things don't go well in his next rehab start, then I think they, they probably have to, you have to actually acknowledge that there is a physical setback to restart the rehab clock. They would have to do that, uh, and that would obviously be extremely concerning. I would say that at this point, like, surprise is not in my vocabulary in terms of DeGrom. I would not be surprised if he returns next week and is, the again, the most dominant pitcher in, like, the history of baseball. I would also not be surprised if we never see him pitch another game, uh, never see him throw another pitch with the Mets again. Like, and I hate to say that, no one wants to hear that, but uh, given, I don't know, and, and I, I get that, like, and I respect that, like, part of it is, like, 
DeGrom doesn't have to be that forthcoming about what's going on. And the Mets don't have to be that forthcoming about what's going on. Um, but given just like the, the slow leak and the way it's played out, and then like especially like the was it wasn't it Friday at, at in the afternoon that they that they announced that he had this setback or whatever? Uh, like they they, they started to do. They announced it just before the All Star game started. Just before the All Star game, yeah. That that makes me. I, that just makes me curious. It just what is going on in Utah? As um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, we trade. have a question. Very strange. Yeah. Trade. We, uh, we have a question from from Andrew who emailed in, um, and he first starts with some very nice words about the podcast, and he says. Um, I am not a person who usually wears a team jersey to a game. He sees lots of fans He has no, uh, who do. He does nothing against it. He says he has one jersey. It's a Jeff McNeil, number six, a gift from his son. He likes it a lot. Um, this is the, where we get to the question. He says, I have seen a Mets jersey that I believe is ascendant above all others in its complete coolness. In the Mets Hall of Fame is a case where they have a Gil Hodges all-flannel cream white jersey with light blue pinstripes and a World's Fair patch on the left shoulder and chopped sleeves. Uh, and if you look back at those 60s jerseys, like Hodges did re- wear really short sleeves. It was almost a tank top. Uh, for me, every one of the characteristics of this jersey adds another layer to the coolness that achieves an overall effect that can only describe, uh, only be described with one word. And the word, he says, is bitchin'. <laughs> um, and... Uh, he says, so his question is, have you come across replica jerseys of this vintage style for sale anywhere in your travels? I have not. Um, and do you have a treasured or admired jersey that you hold high above all others? Uh, I have not seen that specific Gil Hodges one. I, I agree that that would be an excellent purchase for a Mets fan. I think, you know, like the, if you're a Mets fan, you're like, I can only get one jersey ever. I think you go with like the cream pinstripe Tom Seaver, you know, no name on the back, just 41. Uh, I think that's that's the go-to. Uh, you can make an argument for the road jersey as well because the road, you know, as we've talked about before, I think the, the road jersey is their nicest look. Um, for me, as a so my favorite athlete growing up uh, was Barry Sanders um, with the Lions, uh, and so I always loved the throwback uniforms that they wore on Thanksgiving uh, for a, a time, you know, right around you know when the NFL did seventy fifth anniversary, I think in ninety four, and it was just like the the Honolulu blue with silver numbers, no, nothing else on them. Uh, and they wore them with the plain silver helmets. Uh, and I, I wanted that jersey for a long time. And actually, when I got the job at The Athletic, um, I told my, my now wife at one point, it's like, you know, I, I made a rash purchase today. And she got very <laughs> concerned. And I, I said that I had bought myself a Barry Sanders throwback jersey, which I had found, you know, uh, it, it I'm not going to be one of those like Jersey investigators who, who looks at into everything. It costs less than a hundred dollars. Uh, and it, it seems like it has the proper stitching to be like the, the real thing. I don't think it's a knockoff. It's not like iron on or anything. The numbers are, are in the right font. I also, I also really wanted a Warren moon Oilers Jersey for a long time, but a lot of the times you would see that it would be like, it would have the wrong colors, the wrong blue, or that the one would not be the proper Oilers font. Um, but so uh, I, I did get that that is the jersey that I wanted the most uh, during my young adult life. And I own it and I, uh, I never wear it. I never like I in my life, I have owned one replica jersey. Um, do you want to take any guesses? It was it was I would say like the, the clue would be that it was the, the early 1990s uh, and not a Met, not, not a baseball a Met. player. Uh, not a baseball player. Uh, is it Michael Jordan? What was if? 
No, but that's close. That's close. It was uh, it was Alonzo Mourning because it was <laughs> it was the time when like just everybody had a Hornets jersey. Like you you couldn't show up at school if you didn't somewhere have a replica Hornets jersey. Um, and what? so like I used to wear it. Like, we would play we would play like open. There was open basketball courts at the rec center in my town on Friday nights or Saturday nights for kids. And that was like when you'd show up in your jersey. And so I like I had to get the Alonzo Mourning jersey so I had something to wear to those events. One um, of my one of my college friends once made the point that. No one loves expansion teams more than little kids. And like, it's true that my, my childhood wardrobe, there's just a lot of Hornets clothes, a lot of uh, Florida Marlins and Colorado Rockies gear that apparently was sold in, in central New Jersey that my parents bought for me. <laughs> Yeah, I have an amazing. I just found it. Really, it's a it's a Marlins inaugural season hat with oh, like a. It's white with the teal brim. Yeah, it doesn't fit me perfectly, um, but otherwise it's an. It's, I can't get rid of it. So like, it's an amazing hat. Is it a? Um, is it a seven and a quarter? Uh, no, it's a. It's a snapback. Oh, it's a snapback. Okay, it's yeah. just. A, it's like the depth of it is weird, and it was store. It was in like the back of my my childhood closet for the last since 1992 or whatever so i was, I was not going to um, barter you for it if it were seven and a quarter no not at all <laughs> uh, <laughs> no it's i i tweeted it and like immediately like like 30 people were like i'll buy that off you. i'll buy that <laughs> off you um because it is an, it's an amazing hat um i've owned three Sh- mets jerseys in my life two of them are the same number that's your trivia question Ooh, um, and it's not the obvious not the most obvious so it's not Shinjo and Wright at number five. Oh no, that's a pretty obvious one too. I should get a Shinjo jersey. That's a jersey. That's the that's the answer. The jersey I covet is whatever jersey Suyoshi Shinjo has worn most recently. The the one that says Big Boss on the front with like yeah. with like LED lights. Um, so, he's not with the Ham Fighters though. Is he, is he with the Ham Fighters right now? I think that's who I think that's who he's managing. Um, well, yeah, then even more. And I know they're the fighters. Um, um, so the obvious would be 31 with Piazza and Franco, right? Is that, is that Very close. Going? Very close, but not. <laughs> Very close. That's uh, the obvious one, yeah. Um, and then the other one I would have gone with was Olerud and Wright at number five. Uh, oh, that's, a good, that's an interesting one. Uh, no. Uh, I mean, I'll give it away if I'll say that, that one of the two players that you, you said in the obvious one is correct. <laughs> okay. Uh, is it Franco 45 with Pedro 45? Franco 45 and Pedro 45 are mm-hmm. two of the three, the third being Beltron. Okay, yeah. Well, obviously. It's uh, part of your I brand. I had to get a John. I like late, late stage John Franco was so inspiring to me that I had to own his jersey. He, when he struck out Barry Bonds with that changeup, you got to go with him. I know. Yeah. Uh, if you've got a question for the for the show, please get us on a, at us on Twitter. Tim is at Tim Britton. I am at OG Ted Berg. Uh, or email askTedBerg at gmail.com. We will be back later in the week to talk more Mets. Maybe we'll know more about Jacob deGrom. Maybe we'll be discussing the arrival of Juan Soto. But until then, Tim. Adios. Adios.